Welcome to I Do This Because, an interview series that displays the motivations and personalities of people in Dallas who lead us. We dive straight into the hearts of leaders in all industries, those who receive praise and those who deserve more. What inspires them, what gives them courage, what promotes humility in the midst of fame, how they conquer stress, how they manage crises, and how they retain a sense of humor under pressure. And with that, let's meet our guest and find out why he does what he does. Dallas and beyond. My name is Grant Schmidt. We are here with Coach Rick Carlisle, the head coach of the Dallas Mavericks. Coach Carlisle was named NBA Coach of the Year in 2002, has been the head coach of the Mavs since 2008, and of course in 2011 he led the Dallas Mavericks to their first NBA championship. Coach Carlisle was a very successful college player and led UVA as a co-captain in the Final Four in 1984. He won an NBA championship with the Celtics in 1986 and he is one of only 11 players to win an NBA championship as both a player and a coach. He has recorded over 700 wins as a coach. Coach Carlisle currently serves as the president of the National Basketball Coaches Association, and he has been an incredible asset and contributor to the Dallas community, especially in recent times. Coach Carlisle, we are honored to have you on today's edition of I Do This Because. Yeah, good to talk to you. So, Coach, we're going to jump right into it. You've been in the NBA since 1984. You have over 700 wins, and you still go out there each day with an intense amount of focus and intensity. You're known for being very precise with your focus, very straightforward. And so I'm curious, what about coaching in 2020 brings you the most joy? Well, one thing about life that I've learned, um, you know, I've been in this a long time. This is my 18th year of head coaching in the NBA. Um, this year's been extended because of, you know, some unusual factors. Right. But I think it's so important um, as you move along in life that you continue to grow and that you continue to learn about yourself, that you can continue to try to help inspire people around you to grow and get better and, and to find meaning in life. Um, you know, success is one thing. Success is normally monetary success, um, but finding the, the meaning in your success, I think, is, is one of the things that life is all about. Um, you know, coaching has been my profession for, for many, many years, and um, I'm fortunate to be involved in a game that's very dynamic, that's constantly evolving, and as a head coach in the NBA, you're one of 30 people on the planet with that job. You have a chance to be both adaptive and also inventive. And as often as possible, you want to be on the inventive side. You want to be leading the way, you know, conceptually. Um, but you must always be willing to adapt. And uh, I have found that, you know, the ability to stay current, to stay ahead of the game and those kinds of things is one of the things that, that brings meaning to the work that you do. Well, Coach, you mentioned, you know, especially in light of COVID-19 and the, and the downtime, you, you're always self-reflective and learning more about yourself. And I know while you still have a very busy schedule and your days are packed, you've undoubtedly had some time to reflect. And so I'm curious, what are some things that, that you've thought through that you might not have otherwise had time to slow down and think through over the last several months? <laughs> wow. Well, 
Gosh, you know, the way our business functions, um, it's very intense. And then you get pockets of time where you can decompress, you know, so, you know, the, the, the summer is always a time when you can, when you can get away. All-star break is a time when you can get away this year, you know, in the last few years, all-star break has gone from being three or four days to seven or eight days. And so there's a, there's a real chance to kind of get away there. Um, you know, I'm, I try not to do too much analysis of the past. I, I really am more focused on the future. Um, you know, there was a time when, you know, I, I don't know, going back to my college days and stuff, you know, in, in that era, what I recall about being in school was that, you know, sort of the, the, the notion was you wanted to get an education, you know, guys like me were hoping to play professional sports, but if not, you, you got an education to go out in the world and hopefully be successful and make a lot of money and not have to work. Right. <laughs> that was kind of the dream back in those days. Right. And so the whole world is, has changed so much. And now not only are people continuing to work um, later into their lives, um, people are loving their work. They, they, they're loving what they do. Um, it becomes a real part of them. And, and so with this becomes a constant evolution and it's the old phraseology, you know, you're either, you're either getting, you're either uh, increasing or declining. And so um, in a dynamic business like the NBA or the law business, which you're in, um, there's no in between, you know, you're either, um, with the curve, ahead of the curve, or you're behind the curve, and you don't want to be behind. Yes. Well, Coach, you, you brought up a good point. When I was at Notre Dame, we used to always – people would tell us, okay, there's two different things. There's your vocation, right, your mission in life, your passion in life, your blue flame in a sense, and then there's also your profession, you know, what you do to what you do to make money. You, you strike me, though, as the type of person that, you know, your profession is also your vocation. Uh, but I don't want to assume that. I mean, is that, is that how you view your role as a coach, or is this, you know – is this something that you do view as a profession? You try to keep it separate from other components of your life. Yeah, no, I, I, I view them as one and the same, really. Um, you know, look, this is, you know, I, I had a couple of stops early in my career that, um, you know, were difficult. I, um, things got tough, things got personal, things got heated, you know, you end up uh, moving on to a different place. And then, you know, in, in, in the stress of those kinds of situations, um, it's possible for you to look at your work as something that is not fun and something that is, you know, um, really difficult and, hey, why, you know, why am I doing this, you know? And so I've been fortunate, you know, I've had a couple of chances over the years to take sort of like sabbatical years in between jobs. Um, I did broadcasting in 2000 in 2000 to 2001, as I was transitioning from being an assistant to being a head coach. And then um, 2007 to 2008, before I came to Dallas, I, I did broadcasting for ESPN. And, and when you do that, you know, by nature, you kind of take a step back. And instead of, you know, being in the crucible of the intensity of the day-to-day -day life of, uh, and grind of being a head coach on a day-to-day -day basis, and slugging it out every day, you kind of are, are back and, and seeing the whole game, you know, as, as a broader picture. And, 
it's, it's a chance to recharge. Uh, it's a chance to refocus. It's a chance to, you know, f- focus on some of the things that, you know, and study some of the things you may have thought about yourself and, and, and reevaluate. And, uh, you know, things got really hard after my, uh, uh, at the end of my stint in Indiana to the point where it wasn't very much fun. And so as I got away that year, um, it was interesting. I started to realize that, you know what, there's a reason there's only 30 of these jobs in the world. You know, this I, isn't necessarily supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be super challenging and it, it's, it's, it's got to bring out the best of you internally and externally. And so, you know, after that year, <clears throat> you know, I had a chance to talk to three teams. Dallas was one of them. And I ended up in Dallas and I've been here for, you know, this is my 12th year. Um, Mark Cuban's a great owner. Uh, I've been real fortunate to have, you know, a, a franchise player like Dirk here for, you know, the pretty much the whole time except for this year. And now, you know, we're transitioning to the Luka Doncic, Kristaps Porzingis era. And, you know, it's just uh, every day I look forward to. And so, yes. um, you know, this is a really cool place to be. Well, I've heard you – no, thank you for sharing that. I've heard you say, you know, especially thinking about your daughter, Abby, that, you know, she's now – the life of a coach, you know, it can be transient, but you guys have been here for a long time. And so, you know, other than the things you mentioned, obviously, uh, Mr. Cuban is a great owner and Dirk and Luca and others. What, though, has been magnetic to you about Dallas? Because you're not just a you're not just a passive, a passive resident of Dallas. You've been very involved. I want to talk to you about a little bit. I mean, you just met with the mayor. Um, you've taken a real initiative to be present in the city. And so it strikes me that there's something magnetic to you about the city, but I'm curious what that is. Well, Dallas is a dynamic place. It's <clears throat> has great diversity. Um, it's vibrant. It's got, you know, over 20 of the, the Forbes 500 um, top com- companies in the world. Um, the people are friendly. It's a, it's a place that uh, has a friendly vibe about it. I mean, you can drive your car and, and pull up and park most places. Now, you know, that doesn't seem like a big deal if you've always, you know, been in a city where you can do that. Uh, not all cities are like that. Um, it's been a welcoming place for for me and my family um, from day one. And, you know, in the last three weeks, uh, I've gotten much more involved in what's going on here in, in the city. Um, our coaches uh, mobilized about two and a half weeks ago on a, on a Zoom call, which we put together within about six or eight hours um, in the wake of the George Floyd murder. And, you know, we decided that we need to make a stand um, collectively. And so um, all 30 head coaches in their own markets are partnering with a local uh, grassroots organization of some sort um, to take on the challenge of racial injustice um, and to try to turn things the other direction. I mean, it's been over four centuries of, uh, you know, uh, systemic racism and we've got to put a stop to it. So I've partnered with a, uh, with an organization in Dallas called Mothers Against Police Brutality led by Colette Flanagan, who is a, a marvelous woman who is, you know, seven or eight years into this, she lost her son, Clinton Allen, um, who was shot by a, a Dallas police officer um, in 2013. And, and she decided to take action. And, um, 
Mothers Against Police Brutality is, is, is a organization that was highly recommended to me on the national level, even though they're, they're only a, a single organization um, group, only in the city of Dallas. And so uh, I learned a lot from her in the last two and a half weeks. Uh, as you mentioned, we met with the mayor um, this past Friday. So it was myself, Colette, uh, two of my assistant coaches, uh, Jamal Mosley and Steven Silas, and one of our players, Dwight Powell. And uh, we had a 45-minute meeting with the mayor. We went in with, with great humility. You know, we wanted to, to talk about the dynamics of Dallas um, and some short-term things that, that we felt we could help um, to do in, in terms of helping push policies um, to make it safer here in Dallas and, 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 and sort of the long-term vision and, and how do we educate people on the problems of, of racism how do we how do we get white people to understand what this is all about and it's a very very deep conversation um the majority of the time it is not a comfortable conversation but it but it has to start happening on a consistent basis well coach how did so so when you mentioned that you got everybody on the zoom call i mean was that something that i mean your players obviously have such great chemistry with this team and I know you guys rally around each other for so many things, but did you, how does that work? I mean, do you send out an email and say, hey guys, we obviously all need to get on the phone and talk through our plan here. We have a tremendous platform. How, how do those types of plans shape um, with you and your coaches and your, and your players? Well, we're talking about the, the, the 30 head coaches and, you know, I'm the president of the coaches association. So there were a couple of guys that were, you know, extremely upset in the wake of George Floyd and some other incidents. Um, I got a couple of messages from them. Our direct, our executive director, David Fogel, um, got involved. We coordinated. Three of us each took 10 head coaches. We contacted them. We set up a Zoom call for noon the next day. Um, we were on the call. We decided to form a committee, which is the uh, NBCA Committee on uh, Racial Injustice and Reform. And, uh, you know, we've had four meetings of the committee that have been very intense. The last meeting was with uh, Brian Stevenson, who's a lawyer that was featured in the movie Just Mercy. He's yes. you know, probably the most famous civil rights lawyer in the country right now. And he's going to join our group as a consultant and join in the fight. And he's been a, a great resource for us. Um, but there's so much work. And uh, it came together quickly. We had another Zoom call today with 30 head coaches to see where everybody was in terms of mobilizing with local organizations. Um, we have momentum. We're, we're in the media a lot. We have a platform. Um, and we're in this for the long haul. So, Coach, do you, you know, when you were a player, obviously, there was, um, you know, you had a platform as well in that time. And now, you know, with the way in which we have social media and the way that everything is rapid and instantaneous, do you feel like that that platform has changed in a sense that there's there's more of an opportunity for you to get the word out? There's more of an opportunity for you to have a positive influence? Well, <laughs> put it to you this way. Uh, as a head coach in the NBA, you talk to the media every day that there's a practice. And on game days, you have three exposures to the media. Uh, one uh, at shoot around in the morning, one before the game, and one after the game. And so – you know, your voice is out there. Um, I'm not big on social media. I, I, you know, philosophically, you know, for me, I, I think 
it's important for the players to be out there and, and in social media a lot. Uh, I monitor some of it, um, but I, I don't have any accounts out there. You know, I'm not out there tweeting. I'm not out there on Instagram, stuff like that. Um, and so I don't necessarily use social media, but our relationship with the, with the direct media is, um, is very strong and very powerful. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's become a moral issue for us, yes. you know, that we need to use that platform to help the world become a better place. Yes. Well, thank you know, Coach, I mean, on behalf of everybody that I've talked to, you know, thank you so much for, for what you and the team are doing. I, I'm also wondering, you know, with COVID, so there's, there's several, obviously there's several different things to navigate, but with COVID, you have the same responsibility, it seems, with all these, all these other coaches. Um, and so are you, I mean, what is, your, what is your style, and this comes back to what you said earlier, but, but what is your style in order to ensure a collaborative conversation, not just on the racial justice issues, but also coming up with a solution where everyone's on the same page for navigating how you're going to do Orlando um, or how you're going to do things, you know, going forward in the future. Well, in terms of our um, coaches association and our effort to get together right now, you know, we had to put out a strong statement um, that basically was an action statement along with you know, our opinion of, of what's been going on in the world, you know, particularly over the last three to four weeks. Um, that was step one. Uh, we had to lay out some, some action items in the statement, and then we had to follow through. And so as we've gotten into this more, you know, a big part of what we're doing is working with local uh, authorities, local leaders, you know, the mayor, the city manager, uh, the chief of police. Um, Every city is a little bit different. I mean, in Dallas, the city council carries a lot of the weight with decision-making and policy-making. So, you know, you got to study that and, and find out what, what that's all about. But the other part of this, when we were on our call with Brian Stevenson last week, was the fact that, you know what, as coaches, we're, we're actually, we're teachers, we're educators. And so it's really important as, as teachers that we bring the education aspect in, into this. Um, and the education aspect of, of the world of racial injustice is wide ranging. I mean, it's everything yes. from um, talking about what white privilege is all about, what systemic racism is all about, um, to recognizing the fact that, you know, in our, local, in our local area, we've had several lives lost due to police brutality. And part of the healing is to recognize the families who have lost loved ones in those situations and use that as a, as part of the healing process. And so that's one of the things that we really want to do. And again, you know, this, this is not going to get solved overnight. You know, I mean, realistically, you know, we want to make as much short-term helps help us make, make, make as much short-term policy change as we can. I mean, there are certain analytics to things, you know, that are in place relative to police behavior and, 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 uh, and policies and how they operate. And if we, can, if we can get those a little safer, you know, that, that helps the analytics of, of saving lives. But, you know, we, we want to influence the next generation. Um, we want to influence, you know, people that are, are going to be around here a lot longer than we are. And um, being honest and forthright and authentic with how we approach these conversations is, um, is absolutely critical. Yes. 
Well, thank you again, Coach. I'm, I'm going to pivot just a little bit. You know, earlier you were talking about conversations with the media and presence with the media. And, and you know, I, I mean, I know that I feel that several, several people are in the media are maybe are intimidated by you. I know that I'm, I'm intimidated by you because you have a very precise and, and serious oftentimes demeanor. But I'm wondering, is that, is that the same demeanor that you have behind the scenes with the players? I mean, are you, do you feel like, you know, Abby and your wife uh, treat you in the same way? Or do you, do you let your guard down, uh, obviously, more personally, when you're with the team or when you're with your family, et cetera? Well, first of all, I'm as full of shit as anybody, okay? Let's just get that straight. And, uh, you know, I have an intense, an intense job, and I take it very seriously, and, and I hold myself accountable. Um, you know, I deal with the media every day, and I, I think it's important to hold them accountable, too, for the accuracy of what they're writing and talking about. Yes. Um, you know, to a certain point. I mean, you can't control what everybody's going to write and things like that. Um, you know, when you play the game of basketball, it's there are thousands of events that happen in each game. And so every player that plays is is accountable for his or her job and, and those kinds of things. But I've learned over over time that that it's important, um, you know, to smile, to be to be a, you know, positive um, expressor during game. I, you know, I've learned to smile more and, and learn to you know, engage it and enjoy and enjoy this job more. Um, but the, you know, that I be that's been an evolution for me. Um, you know, in the beginning, I used to really feel like it was, you know, the most important thing was to always be serious. You know, um, it's a serious job. It's a serious business, but you know, one of the, one of the things that helps make you, makes you successful is the ability to have fun. Yes. And you need your players to have fun playing, even though it's extremely competitive. So, you know, I, we're all evolving. We're all adapting. And, and again, it, it gets back to the whole concept of, of trying to stay ahead of the curve. You know, if you want to be successful in this business long term, you got to learn to have fun with it. Yes. Well, well, Coach, do you still have – so obviously we, I mentioned the 700 wins. You've, walk, you've walked on and off that court a lot. But do you still – I mean, do you still authentically get pumped up before you go out there? Or do you feel like you've now, you know, maybe not as pumped up as you did um, in the early stages as a coach, and you now kind of um, have your feet underneath you and that you're a little bit, maybe you're more numb, uh, you're numb to, to the experience now? Well, you know, over time, you, you do, there is a certain familiarity with, with how things operate. Um, but the juices flow when you have a good team. You know, that's, that's, one of the, that's one of the constants. And we've always been good here. We went through a three-year rebuild, which was difficult. Um, you know, we got to the point where we knew we were going to have to get worse to get better. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, we got lucky. We, we drafted Luca. We were able to, tra able to trade for KP and Hardaway and, 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 and build our team a, a certain way here. Um, but I don't think it's possible to be successful in this business, you know, just simply walking out there because you're experienced and, and not getting nervous. I, I think you got to be excited. Now, you know, nerves and anxiety are a little different than excitement. You know, I, um, the word stress, I, I don't like that word. Stress to me is, is being unprepared for something that's important that you care about. And, you know, um, I work very hard to be prepared be prepared. My, my, my staff does, and we work very hard to get our players prepared. So, you know, stress in that 
instance really is is in the form of excitement, being wired up, ready to compete, and 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 be re- being ready to, to stick to a process that you've preached, um, that you've rehearsed, and that everybody's tuned into. I mean, that's how we won the championship in 2011 as a as a pretty strong underdog. You know, yes. we we got it. We got a, a process that you know we knew could be effective for us. Uh, we got everybody to trust it. Um, and we we immersed in it, and before we knew it, it was over, and we had won. And when it, when it was over, it was kind of like, wow, I can't believe it's over. Right. <laughs> I mean, when you get that immersed in in something like a championship run, it's uh, you know, it's a it's a liberating experience. Yes, yes. Well, I was going to ask you about that. You know, w- one thought I've always had is when you there's so much sacrifice that you that you experience. There's so much work that goes into those championships. You've done it as a player. And as a coach, and is there ever this, you know, once it happened, when it happened as a player, what happened as, with the Mavs, was there a feeling that was kind of like a, oh, my gosh, okay, this is amazing, now what? Or, or you know, do you see it as, no, no let's go do it again, or, or let's do it better, or let's try to do it five more times. I mean, what's your, once you get to the top of the hill, you know, what is your philosophy to retaining that motivation and keep pushing forward? Well, you know, it, to me, it comes down to your philosophical beliefs. Um, you know, when you first get into being a head coach, I mean, I, I'm just speaking for myself. I mean, you know, you get your first job. Um, it's exciting. There's a ton of things going on. All of a sudden, you've got piles of stuff on your desk all the time. Um, you know, there's people from PR, marketing, everything that, that are de- demanding parts of your day every single day. So you gotta, you, you've got to sift, sift through all that kind of stuff. Um, but as you get into this, what you realize is, you know, you got to come to um, a determination on what's the best process for you to be successful, um, for you to communicate well with your team, to feel like you're prepared every day, um, and all those kinds of things. And, and I think over time, everybody formulates their process a little bit differently. Um, but I'm just, you know, I just feel very fortunate and blessed to be in a situation in Dallas where, you know, we've had a chance to be successful because we had good players. Um, when our, when our time came, you know, we, we seized the moment. I mean, it was an older team, but it was experienced. Um, we happened to be healthy at the right time. Um, and, you know, we caught lightning in a bottle and, and rode it to the promised land. And so, um, we're, we're in the process of, of doing that again. I mean, once you achieve a dream, it's, it's important to, to have another dream <laughs> Yes, and not just yes. feel like, Hey, you know, I, I got my dream. Now what, you know, I mean, that kind of happened when I played, I, you know, I grew up with the, the dream of being an NBA player. You know, it, it happened for five years. It ended, you know, pretty, pretty abruptly, but, but pretty predictably because my body was kind of beat up and stuff. Um, and all of a sudden I was, you know, cut as a player and hired as a, and offered a coaching job in the same phone call, which was, you know, the break of a lifetime. And so, uh, you know, timing is always an important thing, but then over time you figure out what works for you. Yes. No, it's very, very valuable advice. Just a few more questions, coach. I wanted to ask you a little bit about the celebrity component, fame component. And in order to ask you that question, quick story. When I, I was in Denver one year during college, and I, I saw Phil Jackson. He was there about to play the Nuggets. And I went up to Coach Jackson, and my sister was with me, and I said, Coach, could I, could I uh, take a quick picture with you? 
And uh, he said, you know, kid, I don't do pictures. And I said, well, coach, I'm a huge, I'm a huge Lakers fan. Just just take two seconds. And he said, kid, I don't take photos. And also you're not a huge fan because you're wearing a Dallas Mavericks hat. And I had completely forgotten that I had my Mavs hat on (laughs) traveling in from Dallas. And so I'm curious, you know, your, your relationships, obviously locally, they're so strong. People love you here. And I'm just curious how you view that. In other words, you know, do you, do you see yourself, hey, I'm just a, I'm your, I'm a no, another normal citizen of Dallas, or do you embrace the fact, hey, I know that I'm the head coach of an NBA team, and, and with that comes some of these types of interactions? Yeah, but people in Dallas are cool. You know, it's, there's not a lot of that going on here. And look, I, I don't mind. If somebody wants a picture, I'm, I'm great with it. You know, I, I think that's one of the things that you have a responsibility to do, you know, as a, as a head coach. And, but these are people that are that support your team. That they support your ability to earn a living and stuff like that. Now I know Phil well, and 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 like Phil, Phil is uh, he's got some a little different philosophies on things like that. And, and the Mavericks had didn't help you in that case, right? I know. <laughs> instance, you know, um, and so you know, but but everybody's. Everybody's a little bit different, but I, but I do think Dallas is a, is a special city because, you know, <clears throat> no matter what your situation is, you know, people, people respect the fact that, you know, you're whatever, you're in the public eye or whatever, whatever, but, but it doesn't bother me. I, I found, you know, interactions in Dallas with, with the folks here have been, uh, have been terrific. I, I really, you know, I, I really, um, embrace them. And, you know, if somebody wants something like that, that's, you know, that I feel that's part of my obligation. Right. Coach, one thing I've always been curious about, you know, in, when you have, you know, when you're mic'd up, for example, I, I find that you, out of many coaches, I mean, you always have very thoughtful, very substantive, you're really breaking down things. I know that sometimes people always wonder, gosh, the, you know, coaches just speak in platitudes or they're these, just these, hey, you know, or, or after the game, hey, you know, they just, they outscore us. We worked really hard, et cetera. Do you, do you make a conscious effort to, hey, I'm going to be, I'm going to be as substantive as possible here? Or, or is that a product of, of people saying, look, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to interact with the media as minimally as possible. I'm going to obviously give the answer, but I'm not going to offer up a trade secret in the way in which I respond. Well, I think this is another area where, you know, there's an evolution. Um, and at different times, you know, the media is, is an important um, thing because sometimes you just, as, as my good friend George W. Bush once said, sometimes I need to be, I have to be the educator in chief. You know, sometimes you have to educate people. And, and like, it's important to do it in a way that's not condescending or rude, but there are certain things that happen in, in games or certain things that happen, you know, on a day-to-day basis with our team and, you know, our process for doing things. And if people don't understand, you know, they make it go willy nilly and start writing stuff that doesn't make sense, you know? Um, So I I think it's important to um, be honest. Um, I think it's important to, you know, pick, pick your times when, when you, when you need to, um, you know, educate, whether it's the media or whether you're using the media as a platform to educate, sometimes it's your own players, you know, right. uh, I don't, you know, I, I've learned not to coach my team through the media because I don't, I don't think that works. Um, if I have something I need to tell my players, I talk to them directly. 
Um, but, but the media is a, is a great way to give praise. It's a great way to be accountable as the head coach. Um, you know, last year we had, you know, this, I, this year, I was going to say this year, um, you know, we got a, a hell of a season going, but we've had a lot of tough losses. Um, anytime there's a tough loss, I'm the one taking the blame. Yes. You know, I got to take the pressure off the players. You know, these, these guys have a lot on their plate um, and we need to stay positive with them, particularly due to the fact that we're a young team. Yes. Two more questions, coach. Two more questions. So is there a scenario, you know, I hope, I hope that we don't ever um, lose you to, to another, another team or some other opportunity, but is there a scenario, is there a fact pattern where you would say, okay, you know, I'm looking at these accomplishments and, you know, mission accomplished. I've, I've done what I wanted to do. And, and that would, you know, be the end of, of your coaching career. Is there, is there a fact pattern that you envision there? Well, you know, I've been asked about my contract. I've been asked about, you know, over the years, a lot of different things, a lot of different ways, similar to what you're asking. I, I think this, I've got several years left on my contract, but I, I've approached every job as if I had a one day contract. And, you know, when you do that and you are just dealing with this day in particular, this is one of the reasons that Dirk Nowitzki, you know, had a 22 year career with, with one team. I mean, and it flew by. It's because he just every day concentrated on that day. He, he didn't get into how long he was going to play and all that. It just, it happened the way it happened. Um, and that's how I see my situation. Um, you know, we all have an idea of, of some personal goals and things like that. Look, my, my number one goal right now is win another championship. I mean, that's, you know, that's the thing that we need to do here. And that's what we're building to do. Um, I don't know what the realistic timetable is for that, but I, I like where our team is at and I like where we're going. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I stay in a simple process and I make the thing about, you know, being day to day with everything. Yes. Okay. Last question. Last question, coach. You know, there, a lot of people don't like to talk about um, their legacies. Um, and, you know, we just kind of talked a little bit about that, but putting, you know, it's hard to write your own legacy. Other people will write that. But when you do, when you do retire coach, what do you want all these other coaches in the association to say about you? What do you want? What do you want the fans to say about you? What do you want Dirk and Luca and, and your players? How do you want them to describe you at the end of the day? Well, you know, thing, the thing I've learned about leadership um, that's most important is you have to serve people and you have to be a servant leader. It's, it's become a bit of a cliched term, but it's very, very true. Um, and at the end of everything, <clears throat> as you evaluate your career, you're going to look back at the level of fulfillment and the level of meaning and, and you know, generally speaking, you're talking about relationships um, and, and how you feel about people you work with and how they feel about you, you know, yes. like our 2011 team. I mean, you know, going through the grind before we got there <clears throat> was, uh, you know, it was difficult. It was challenging. I mean, the year and I'm not just talking about that scene. I'm talking about the years leading up, you know, and that, that was the clock was ticking on that group. Um, but, you know, once we were able to get to the top of the mountain, I mean, 
those relationships, you know, that all of us have with each other from that team um, are super special and they're going to last a lifetime. And, you know, situation we're in right now where we're basically reinventing with a, with a new team. Um, I've been a part of a re rebuild before, but not as a head coach. You know, I, I did it in New Jersey when I had my first assistant coaching job. We went from 17 to 26 to 38 to 43 to 45 wins. I mean, it's, you know, it's a long climb and you can't skip steps. And so, you know, as we go through the process here, um, there's some, there's some challenging things. There's some young, young players that, that, you know, are, are learning things the hard way. And that's, that's, you know, that's how it's going to be. And, but you've got to stay positive. You've got to keep believing in them and you've got to keep working to give them the tools for success. If you do those things, you know, if I do those things, if me and my staff do those things, you know, the relationships and, and how everybody views each other, you know, all those things take care of themselves. Coach, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your leadership on the team, for your leadership in Dallas, for all these important issues we've discussed. I know that a lot of people out there who are very, very grateful for it. All right, Grant. Thanks. I've enjoyed our conversation. Be well.